Join us as we sing, O Church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain.
Please remain standing as we read God's holy and inspired word. We'll be reading this morning from Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17. James Holt will be preaching this this morning, and uh, Pastor Mike Shera is out at Grace Rancho preaching this morning. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. This morning as we pray, we're going to remember those who are up at Hume Lake, our junior and senior hires and their leaders, as well as one of our ministry partners, uh, Newton Chilingulo, who's serving in Malawi. Please pray with me. Gracious, merciful, holy God, we love you. We acknowledge that you are the creator of heaven and earth. We acknowledge that you are Lord in our life, that you are Lord over everything. We acknowledge that without you, we would be nothing. We would have no purpose. We would have no life. We would have no meaning. We confess, Lord, that too often we forget to acknowledge you as God, as holy, as supreme. We um, are prideful. We think we can do life on our own. We think we can make certain decisions and only need to call upon you for things that are out of our control. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our pride. Forgive our selfishness. Forgive us when we do not forgive as we have been forgiven with wholeness, completely forgiven. Father, we need you and we acknowledge that. We thank you that you have called us into this body to worship, to serve. We thank you for the love of your church. We thank you that you give us a name the name of Christian, the name of Jesus. We thank you that you have called us to be together. Father, we thank you that you give us all that we need. Lord, we pray that you would cause your name to be glorified. We pray that in and through our lives we would proclaim your character, who you are, and all of your holiness and mercy and justice. Father, we um, pray for those students who are up at Hume Lake and their leaders. We pray for unity amongst the youth group. We pray for them to come to faith and to grow in faith and in sanctification. Uh, we pray for their safety as they travel and as they are there for a week. Uh, we pray for Newton Chingulo, the pastor at Reformation Bible Church. We pray that you would protect him and his family, that you would continue to use him to proclaim your word to uh, make disciples, to preach the gospel clearly, to um, build up the faithful in 
in Malawi. We um, thank you, Lord, that we are able in one body, international, to pray for one another and to support and encourage him. Lord, as we live lives today, as we move forward in, in our faith, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for who you are. We glorify you. We pray that you would be glorified in and through us and that we would enjoy you now and forever. We pray this through the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand once more and join as we sing Facing a Task and Finish? Join us in singing. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothfulness. We who rejoice to know thee be new before thy throne. Where other lords, where other lords beside me, for their unhindered sway, where forces that defy thee, defy thee still today, with none to heed their crying for life and love.
Psalm 62, uh, verses 1 to 9, it says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. 
my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And we invite you as we sing to pour out your heart to him, saying, I'll set my gaze on God alone and trust in him completely. With every day, pour out my soul, and he will prove his mercy. Though life is but a fleeting breath, a sigh too brief to measure, my king has crushed the curse of death, and I am his forever. Yeah. 
Lord, we ask and invite and need your help um, to hear your word and to live it and to make it so that our only allegiance is Jesus Christ. Um, We thank you for today. We ask that you would speak powerfully through James and through the book of Colossians, and we praise you for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thinking of sending kids off to to Hume today, a lot of our high schoolers went off. There was a Christian camp that used to have a sign over the kitchen sink that announced worship services held here three times daily. And now the moms are thinking, wait, we're doing the one about the sermon about doing dishes? Bring those kids back, right? They need to hear this one. Well, we're doing a sermon about everything every whatever to God's glory, dishes included, but a whole lot more. And so here in Colossians 3, really, um, we're given a summation of the Christian life. Paul lays it out, every word, every deed to God's glory. That is what we desire to do. It's a big call. It's, it's a weighty passage. It's purpose-giving. But it also could feel like a weight that could crush us. If we think every single moment, every single word, every single deed is to be lived to God's glory, how do I do that? How do I choose the what in the whatever to do? Well, thankfully, Colossians 3.17 doesn't come without a context. It comes with instruction that helps give us what we need so that truly we can walk out of here today and have every moment be lived for God's glory. It's kind of like what happens when, when someone finds a treasure map. What happens, right? Their life is changed. They know where the treasure is. They're going to do everything they can to follow that map to find that treasure. It's like the man in Matthew 13 that found the treasure in the field. What did he do? Life stopped. All the things that were important before were out the window, not spending money on that. He's going to save up. He's going to do what he can. He's going to buy the field because he recognizes there's a clear direction. There's a clear motivation that is now directing his thoughts, his life, his actions, his words, his deeds. And believer, we have that in Christ. Paul calls us to be all about Jesus in Colossians. And we're to be all about his church. We're all to be all about Christ's peace, Christ's word, Christ's name, Christ's work. Colossians 3.17, the end of our passage today, is really well known. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's well known because it really is one of those verses that applies to everything. Whatever you do, everything you do. So we should have an easy time with application today. I mean, it actually doesn't start when you walk out the door. It starts right now. We want to bring God glory even in this moment. You know, our commitment as believers, it's it's not a once a week thing. You know, we're not in the the Lord's Army Reserves, where we're one weekend a month and a two-week mission trip during the year, and that's how we bring glory to God. No, 
It's a call that applies to every day and every moment. And we're thankful for that, really, because it's going to give purpose to a lot of things that we don't think have purpose, like that two-hour commute that you have to work. You think it's just wasted time at the beginning and the end of the day. But no, Christ is redeeming all of those moments. There was an old cartoon in the, in the 90s about, uh, called Pinky and the Brain, and at the end of every episode, Pinky, the sort of pea brain side, sidekick, asks his mouse friend Brain, you know, hey, what are we going to do tomorrow? We're going to try and take over the world. That was always the response. Believers, we have the answer to that question. What are you going to do tomorrow? Same thing we do every day. Try and bring Christ's glory in every moment, in everything, in every word, in every deed. And really, that actually could sound, sound a bit overwhelming, but, but I think what Paul gives us here will help take the weight of that off of your shoulders as we recognize, again, it's about Christ's church. It's about Christ's word. It's about Christ's peace. We're going to see that he's at the center of it. And he's at the center, the one working it out in us. So it is possible. Every whatever for Christ's glory. And the question needs to be asked, what is whatever? Is it really whatever? We know, just instinctively, we know there are some boundaries and some bare minimums. Because this verse isn't just do whatever you want. That's not what it is. It's not a permissive verse that says do whatever you want you want, right? There are, there are, it's in a context. And so we're, we're given it here so that we have direction, so that really we can do all things to God's glory. Sometimes we draw those lines too, too close. We draw those boundaries um, and those, those uh, circumstances to, to think, oh, we can only do ministry things to God's glory, we can only do things for the church, for God's glory. We can only do things when we're saying Jesus' name to God's glory. But that's not, that's actually not what Paul's saying here. He really is saying everything. Other times people will take this and say everything and apply it to what I want. But no, Colossians gives us a context. And the main message of the entire book of Colossians, go read it later today, is about Christ being supreme. He's supreme in the world. So he's over everything visible and invisible. And he is the head of the church. He is over it. And he is to be head of your life. And this is good news because that means that if he is in his proper place, then your life, everything, every moment, every commute, every diaper changed, every dish washed, every word spoken, can be for his glory. Christ needs to be supreme in our hearts for that to be the case. And before we get to a few characteristics, that's what we're going to give you today. I'm going to give you five characteristics, but before we get to those five characteristics, something else has to be true about you for this to be the case. For you to live a life for God's glory, there, are, there, there is a prerequisite, and it's here at the beginning in verse 12. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's the prerequisite. Before we do the put on, there's something true about us if we're to put on a life that glorifies God. We have to be those who are 
God's chosen ones. We have to be those who are holy and beloved. And don't get me wrong, this is God's work. It's not, hey, go try and be chosen. It's not, hey, go try and be holy. Hey, go try and be beloved. No, this is true of you. Why? Because Christ is supreme and Christ won his church for himself. Because Christ took that debt of sin that you had and nailed it to the cross, as Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says. And at the beginning of Colossians 3, if you look up at verse 1, there's something true about, about, about you before you can follow all these things that, that Paul is giving you that will lead to a life that glorifies God. And it's, if then, you have been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. It, God's choosing speaks of our election. He chose you before, before time began to be someone who brings him glory. And he has made you holy, sanctified you through Christ's work, forgiving your past, transforming your present, your glory, your glorification, secure in our future, made holy by Christ. And you're in a position, uh, beloved, right? And so as you think, man, I have to live every moment to God's glory. How do I do that? Well, recognize that, that he's given you a position here first. Chosen, holy, beloved. Like you get the chance to delight in being loved by God. And that's going to flow out. And that's going to show in some characteristics that Paul puts forward here today. And there's five of them. And so as we get to them, we truly do want to be those who, who our lives reflect in every whatever, God's glory, that we can live that for Him. And the first one that we see here that will be a characteristic of you if every moment is lived for God's glory is that you will have a love for Christ's church. You'll love the church. And I don't mean like you'll love the music or you'll love the preacher. It's all right if you do. I don't mean that you'll love all the kids' activities or you'll love the coffee. You might like coffee somewhere else better. I mean you'll love the church. And you're looking around and you see the church here this morning, the church gathered. And why do we as believers, why does this characterize us if we're bringing glory to Christ's name? Because Christ loves the church. Look in verse 12. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are the inner realities, right? They're, these are the inner things about how our heart is transformed to be a people who love Christ's church. These are the inner attitudes. And then it flows out in verse 13 to those outward actions where we are bearing with one another. It doesn't mean you're going to... Bearing with doesn't sound like you like it all the time, right? It doesn't mean that it's easy to love Christ's church and to love all those who are here with us in Christ's church. But in verse 13, we're bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against you, look, there's conflict in the church, but our love for the church is going to flow out and we're going to bring God glory through that because then we're going to be forgiving one another. There are, there are problems, there are conflicts, there are disunity that happens. But our love for Christ, our desire to bring Him glory, shows in our love for Christ's church. And we forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Your response to others in the church reflects a changed heart. It's evident in your choice to forgive 
as you have been forgiven. This is always a big application point because this will be something you deal with. If you haven't dealt with having to forgive and bear with somebody else, bear with one another in the church, then you, the church might be at a distance from you. Love Christ's church. There's lots of church language actually throughout this whole passage of, of 12 through 17, and we see it in, in the one another's, and we see it um, in uh, forgiving each other. We see it in verse 14, we're bound together by love in perfect harmony. And verse 14 is kind of the crux of this one. We love Christ church and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Church, God, God gives us a love for his church and he makes us and he, he, he designs us not so that we all look the same, but so that we in perfect harmony, like that symphony, are hitting those different notes that bring out his glory and show it to the world. And that's, that's what we want to be. If we're bringing God glory, it's, it's going to be within the body of Christ. We're going to be connected. We're going to be bearing with one another, loving one another. It's really important that we love Christ's church. Not necessarily the activities or the socializing. We love the people. Love the church. And loving the church often looks like service to it. It looks like using your gifts, using what God has given you to serve in the church, your time, your talents. You bless the church. And if you feel like you don't have any of those, you do. You're important. Each member is necessary. Love the church. And as you love it, your heart will pour out in ways of thinking, how can I serve? How can I demonstrate my love for the church? And you don't love the church just because you've worked that up in your heart. You love the church because you, you recognize Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. And that's our first characteristic. Those who give glory to God in every whatever are going to be those who it, it shows in their life that they love Christ's church. Secondly, their hearts are going to be ruled by Christ's peace. And we see this in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There we, again, we see the body there. You're called in one body. But, but we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The idea of rule is that it, it's the deciding factor. It helps us in our judgment, and it has control. Your heart is not ruled by sinful fear or anxiety. It's not ruled by its wants or even its needs. It's ruled and the decisions are made from the peace that Christ has given you. He's the source of it. This is a peace we have with God and it's a peace that, that encounters our past. It, it covers our present and our future. It's a peace we have because our sinful debt was nailed to the cross, as we mentioned earlier. Paul assured us that there's no power that can overcome us. Paul talks about this in, throughout Colossians, that, that there's spiritual forces out there, but Christ has triumphed over them. We can have peace because our enemy has been defeated. And when someone rules or reigns, if we're to let Christ's peace rule in us, it's going to govern our decisions. We're not in a good place to make a decision if we're under threat, right? 
Like if we're, if we're under fear, we're not in a good place to make a decision. If we're ruled by guilt and shame, we're not in a good position to make good decisions that will honor and glorify Christ. And so it's important to let His peace rule. And so we look at that, and His peace rules in our past. Remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Peace we have with God as He has reconciled us to Himself. Colossians 1.20 says, Christ made peace by the blood of His cross. Your past is covered, believer. Remember, you are chosen, holy, loved. That sounds like a position of peace. Nothing can change that because we're not the one who brokered the peace. We didn't come in and make an agreement with God, hey, this is, this is our peace agreement. No, Christ came in and made the agreement. He won the peace for us. Peace with God. Peace because our enemies are defeated. Peace with one another because of His work. And so Christ's peace rules over our past, it rules over our present. Philippians 4.7 talks about a peace that passes all understanding. And Philippians 4.7 follows Philippians 4.6. It talks about when you have anxiety, when you're worried, what do you do? You go, to, you go to Christ. You go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so in, in your present circumstances that might not seem peaceful, Christ's peace can rule and reign the things at work and at home or in the world, the news that causes us to fear. You know that phone call when that number pops up on your screen and you think, oh, what happened at work now? You think, oh no, it's a family member. Is there an emergency? Christ's peace needs to rule in those present circumstances. And it shows in, in how we react and the decisions we make. We make them for His glory, as His peace rules. We need the foundation of His peace so that we can make those decisions. And it's not just about our past being forgiven and our present being covered, but it's also our future is secure in Him. And so Christ's peace deals with our future because we don't know the future. There's a lot of unknowns for us, but there aren't any unknowns for God. And so we can have peace with Him. We can have peace about the future because He knows it. We can have peace because, as Colossians 3 says, we are hidden with Christ in God. That speaks of our future peace. That, that speaks of our position that we have. That's, that while now we're walking in time, God outside of time knows the end. He knows the security. Our future, He wins. Those who are chosen, holy, beloved, you have peace knowing that your future is secure. So we want the peace of Christ to reign in our heart, to rule in our hearts, to be the place where we can make those decisions that glorify God. An example in thinking of how this interacts with things, I've had some conversations with people about leaving California, right? I mean, high taxes, uh, high housing prices, Hollywood. Lots of reasons to leave California. But do we want to leave out of a, a place where we're, we're making that decision, out of a place of anxiety, out of a place of fear? We don't make decisions from that place. We make, position, we make decisions in our life for His glory 
based on the peace that we have, that our future is secure. And it's not a sin to leave California, but Christ's church is here. You're here today, and so you're going to bring glory to God in California. It's, it's possible, despite the taxes and the housing and Hollywood, we bring glory to God as His church here. And, and we don't want to make decisions, and a lot of times that's where, like, those decision times are actually a good time for us to evaluate. Is Christ's peace reigning in my heart? Where am I making those decisions from? And so that applies not just to leaving California, but decisions you have about work, decisions you have about things you're going to do with your family. Am I making these decisions based on a a place where I understand God's peace and am letting that reign in my heart so I make those decisions for His glory? We have a lot of uh, and in our day and age, we have a lot of freedom in making decisions. We want to be those who evaluate them and put them in context, making sure that they come from a place of peace, not of fear, not of guilt. Don't do things because you feel guilty. That's, that's not the position you have in Christ. You have been forgiven. And so we want to honor Him. We do things out of delight for Him. And so we love Christ's church. We let our hearts be ruled by Christ's peace. We let our life, number three here, our life be directed by Christ's word. It's the guidelines. It's the treasure map. So our thinking, our planning, our purposing, it's all evaluated by God's word. Verse 16 here says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Christ's word dwell richly in you. This is, this is a picture of it. it. It's at home in you. It's welcomed, and it's welcomed in all areas of your life. It's dwelling in you. Christ's word is at home in you. You know it And what does this look like? I mean, it looks like teaching and admonishing, right? That's right here in verse 16. Christ's word is teaching and admonishing you. It's giving us the information, the instruction, the correction that is necessary for a new life. Again, this is is within the context of the body. Christ's word is sufficient authoritative, inerrant. It convicts and corrects our conscience, our thinking of what is right and wrong. Like when we have those decisions in, in front of us to do a whatever, if we know God's word, if it's dwelling in our hearts and we can identify this is something that, that is wrong, then we, then we don't do it. That's not going to be a decision I can make to God's glory. And then sometimes we see there's a whole lot of freedom in that too. As Christ's word dwells richly in us, there's a whole lot of freedom in the decisions we make. And so, so then we say, okay, Lord, I've, 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 I've let your word dwell richly in me. It's teaching and admonishing me, not just in my own personal devotions, but in the body context, together with the church, where I'm, being, I'm receiving teaching, I'm receiving admonishing. I'm in that. And what, what does that look like, teaching and admonishing? It looks like discipleship, like younger men looking for older men to disciple them. Younger women looking for older women to disciple them. 
You know, it's not just individual personal devotional time, but it's also corporate. Like all these you's that come in, in the end here in 14, 15, 16, 17, they're all plural. They're all talking to a people gathered together to a church that is going to do this, bring God glory together. And so we're teaching and admonishing one another. We're in discipleship relationship. And so we let Christ's word which is authoritative and sufficient in all things, we let it speak into our life, both through reading it and through letting others speak it to us. And it starts to govern. It's like the scepter reaching down into our life, reach down into our daily activities to help us evaluate. If we have a lot of freedom in the whatever, then we need to be evaluating the choices that we make about whatever we do by God's Word. Does this mean study God's Word more? Yes. It means more time in personal devotion, but it also means more time with the church, sitting under God's Word. It means more time one-on-one in discipleship relationships, looking for allowing that admonishing, that teaching to connect to what you're doing. Don't just be around people who tell you what you like hearing. Be around people who will give you truth. And look at the results. I mean, like, do you see the results at the end of verse 16? It's not a, a life that's boring and feels restricted. No, it's, it's pouring out in songs and hymns. It's emotion. It's joy. It's creativity that is demonstrating delight. Again, delight. It comes through. And so... So we're letting God's word richly dwell in us. And number four, our life is a witness representing Christ's name. We're a witness representing Christ's name. It's re- we represent Christ in our actions. We've been given a name that we walk under. It says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And all of this begins with God's election, his calling us to himself, making us holy, giving us a position of being beloved. We were chosen for a new life in Christ to live for God's glory. And so now we put on, like that's the, that's the first verses in, in verse 12, we put on, we wear his jersey everywhere we go. We're representing this means as, as we wear his jersey, as we put him on, it means that, that we are submitting to his lordship. He is lord in our life everywhere we go. And so that's why everywhere we go, we can bring him glory. Our life is a witness to his name with every word and deed. Right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have a love for one another, that's, they're seeing the love you have for the church and they're recognizing Christ through it. John 13, 35. St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Which I think that's a good attitude to have to recognize that all the time you are preaching it through your words. But I think he stopped a little short and gave more weight to the actions than the words. They're both there. Paul lines them up. Word and deed. They're both there. We need words. We're a witness. And so we're not just a silent witness We are those who direct others with our life and with our words 
every word, every deed. And it's not just the ones that, that look like ministry or that are specifically about Jesus, but it's every word, every deed. Our life is a witness. We carry his name always. There's an interesting, there's a boxer, George Foreman. If you know the name of George Foreman, you know the name of all five of his sons, George Edward Foreman. He named all of them the same thing. So George III is actually not the father of George IV. He is his brother. And his, his reasoning was to say, look, we carry the same name, and if our name goes up, we all go up. If our name goes down, we all go na- down. You know, most, for most of us, it's just our last name that carries, that, that identifies us and places us in our family, right? It, that's what identifies you. You're a part of this family. For us as believers, we've been given a good name, a name worthy of every aspect of our life. Our, we've come up in a big way because we've been given the name of Jesus and we represent him and we speak for him and we're not ashamed of his name. We're a witness testifying to others through our words, through our deeds for him. Everything for his glory. We carry his name. You know, our, our church isn't one... Uh, that has a bunch of names in every brick. But like if you go to certain foundations and other places where they have that on the wall and you see, oh, this person's, you can tell the size of the donation based on the size of the brick and the size of the plaque and, and their name inscribed in it. But the church isn't like that because your work didn't begin with you. And, and so like as the church laid on the foundation of Christ is built Each brick has his name inscribed on it. Each of our accomplishments are not our accomplishments because we're recognizing it's his work that began it in us and it's his work that will carry it out to the finish. And so we represent him. We work for his glory, not for our own name any longer, but we live for his name. And I think this pours out in our last point today, in the fifth characteristic. And really, the fifth characteristic, you might be thinking, well, we're already at verse 17. Where are we going to go? It's, it's throughout. We're going to find our, our fifth characteristic throughout these verses as we look at it. And it's that we're, it pours out in thanksgiving for Christ's work. We're, we're those who are thankful for Christ's work. Constantly, we're recognizing his work and we're thankful for it. And in the passage, you see it in verse 15, it ends with, and be thankful. In verse 16, it says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Those who live for his glory recognize his work and glory at all times in all things. He's the one doing it all. I remember thinking of an example, what do you do when someone does something nice for you or says a nice word to you? There's a simple response. But sometimes we don't give the simple response because of things going on in our heart, because of other circumstances. So someone does something nice for you, we often try and make up for it. Like, oh, I'll buy your coffee next time. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Like we're reprimanding the person who just did something nice for us. 
Not, that's not the response. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we would spend summers in West Virginia on my grandparents' farm, and my grandmother worked at the library, and, and we were in there one day, my, my older brothers and my little sister, and, and someone said something nice to us. And, and we as the kids, we didn't give the simple response. I, I, we probably were just completely silent because they were a stranger, and maybe we didn't talk to strangers, but we didn't give the simple response. And I remember my grandmother very clearly teaching us, when someone says something nice to you, when someone does something nice for you, you say, thank you. Like that is the response. You don't try and uh, reason away the kindness and the grace that they showed towards you out of pride or out of embarrassment. You recognize it. You see it. We as believers, we're recognizing and we're seeing Christ's word. And so constantly we're being thankful and thankfulness is pouring out of our hearts and we're thankful and recognizing it and we're pointing others towards Christ with our thankfulness. I mean, think about it. Like, think about it from the reverse side, right? I, I'm not going to go buy coffee for somebody so I make them feel bad. Right? That would be ridiculous. I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not going to go do something nice so that that person is embarrassed. That would be, if, if you're that guy, there's something wrong going on with you. Let's go back to the beginning of the sermon here. Right? No, we respond in thankfulness and we recognize Christ's work in us, for us, to our benefit, to our delight. And then we pour that out in thanksgiving to Him. And our thanksgiving is something else that also is, is something that directs people's attention to Christ. Like we don't just silently give thanks, but when we have the opportunity, we publicly give thanks. And we do that in our homes. And we do that in our workplace. And we do that everywhere when we find an opportunity. When someone sets you up, they give you that softball, knock it out of the park, point them to Christ. It's not going to happen every time where you say, where they say thank you to you and you say, well, I'm just thankful for Christ. It's not going to happen every time. Sometimes you just, you just get to say you're welcome as they, as they go off. But other times you get to say you're welcome and you, you get to point them that, that the work that you're doing is not because of you, it's because of Christ's work in you. I think we, we see that in like forgiveness, Forgiveness is not something that's easy in the world, especially in the work world. Like if someone treats you poorly at work, they jump over you to your boss and, and go around you. If you are to, to show Christ's compassion, to be those who are forgiving, that's going to put you uh, in a place where people start to see that and recognize that. And, and what is our response when someone says, man, how can you forgive that guy? He treated you like trash. How can you forgive him? I mean, our, our response here in Colossians 3 and 13 is that, that it, well, Christ forgave me. Christ forgave me so I can forgive others. We live for Christ. We represent Him. And sometimes our good works are, are going to bring attention to us. And we want to be faithful to redirect those and sometimes it's through words, and sometimes it's, it's always something we want to redirect in our heart. When someone points at us and thinks we're something great, we want to make sure that our hearts are correcting that and, and knowing, God, thank you. Thank you for the work that is being demonstrated through a life that has been changed by Christ. And so we redirect it in our hearts. And sometimes we have the opportunity to do that before others, and we redirect them towards Christ as the one who is the source of of all of our good works. 
And so we're those who are thankful for Christ's work. And we're all about Jesus. That's what Paul's given us here today. We're to be all about him. We're to be about his name, his church, his word, his work. And when he's in the right place in our hearts, we're thankful people. And that anything, this anything and everything that we do can then be something that is for his glory. And so we've, we've, we see sort of the, the things that help guide and help evaluate, am I living a life for God's glory? Am, is my heart ruled by his peace? Is my life directed by his word? Does this pour out in thankfulness? Am I recognizing his work? Do I love his church? The whatever for each of us, thinking through some application, the whatever for each of us looks a lot different. Like right now, literally right now, the whatever we are doing to God's glory looks a whole lot different, right? There are are those of you who are sitting here. There are those who are singing this morning. There are those who made coffee. There are those who are part of our safety team that are just on call in case there's an emergency so that they can help. There are those who are taking care of children, some, some children who are happy about it and some who aren't. There are those who are changing diapers to God's glory. Like it, it covers those things. And mom, it covers the time, the first diaper you change to the day and the second time you change it and the first time you do the dishes and the second time and the time again and the time again and the time again because there's a lot of repeats Our whatever will look a lot different, but every moment really can be for God's glory. And it, in a big way, um, it depends on the full context of Colossians. Again, the context of Colossians, the full book, Paul is pointing that Christ is supreme. He is over everything in the world. He is over his church, and he needs to be over our life. And if he is in the right place, then every whatever will be for his glory. And so we evaluate and we walk. And how do we do that? Like, do, do I consciously have to be thinking that, man, okay, this is for God's glory. Like, I'm writing this computer script. It is for God's glory. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sweeping the kitchen. I'm selling cars. Can that be done for God's glory? So do I have to consciously be thinking this is for God's glory? I mean, evaluate that on if, if a husband loves his wife, does he have to constantly be thinking, I love my wife to love his, li- to love his wife throughout the day? No, right? I mean, he, he's going to go to work and he's, he, he's going to do things at work that have nothing to do with his wife and he's going to need to focus on those things. But does he still love his wife at, church, at work? Yes, right? And while he's driving in his commute, he's, he's, he can still be someone who is characterized by loving his wife despite the fact that he's not necessarily thinking about it. And then there's going to be times during his day where it shows, where it can be evaluated, times where he reacts. What is, how does he react to her text? How does he react to her request of him? And so sometimes our living for God's glory is going to be, it, it's going to show in our reactions to other things, our reactions to people in the church. Are we loving them? Our reaction to things in the world, are we living in God's peace our reaction to some, a decision made before us, and will it be something directed by God's word or not? 
And so it's not that we're consciously thinking about it every moment, but, but really more and more it's going to start coming to mind because of that thankfulness that will start to pour as we recognize Christ's work and it will be something that comes to mind often, His glory will, just as the husband who loves his wife will see something that she likes and he may never have thought about that thing, noticed that thing, liked that thing before, but now because he loves his wife, he, he thinks about that thing because he loves her and sometimes he might take a picture of it and say, hey, look at this, I saw it, it reminded me of you. And other times he might just think about it and, and think, oh, I love my wife. It's true of us. And so it's, in, in a lot of ways, these characteristics being true of you will be the things that show in our reactions, but they'll also show in our actions. What is your pattern of life? What is your plan? Some of you had a plan this morning to come to church, to sit under God's word, to be admonished, to be taught, to be corrected. And, and that's part of that pattern of life that shows a desire to give God's glory. And then you're recognizing, man, it's not even me and my listening, but it's his spirit in me that's doing this work. And so then it pours out in thankfulness. And you're like, man, I'm so blessed. I love the church. I love that people are, are serving in this way. And then other times it might show in, man, I need to love the church and I need to forgive this other person who's before me because Christ loved them. And other times it looks like, man, I'm going to love the church and I'm going to admonish and correct this person with God's word one another caring for each other. It's going to be revealed in our actions, our reactions. If we're living for God's glory, if everything, whatever is for His glory, then it's going to be revealed in our pattern of life. The husband who loves his wife plans to love his wife. Sometimes he plans dates. Sometimes he calls her when he's going home to say, do you need anything from the store? He's, he's making those plans. She is a major part of his considerations. Everything can be done for God's glory when Christ reigns supreme, when he is our love. And, and there's, this, this really does apply in everything and everywhere because as we look at it, like in the context there are some of us who have a lot of freedom and choice and some of us who don't have any freedom and choice of what we're doing today and tomorrow and the next day. I think about it. It, it. it can speak to those who are incarcerated. Does it mean, no, only those who are free and outside of prison can glorify God as his children? No. Someone may have ruined their life by decisions and the consequence has come, but their life is no longer ruined. It's redeemed even if they can't get out of prison for the rest of it. They can live for his glory there every moment. And this, this passage goes on to talk about wives and husbands right after. Verse 17, 18 goes on and talks about wives. And 19, husbands, love your wives. And children, obey your parents. And so children, you might think, I don't have a lot of choice. My parents make the choices for me. No, you can. You can glorify God by obeying your parents. And even if you don't like it, man, pray that God would change your heart, that you would like it. And know, like, as a kid, you can glorify God by that. And it goes on. It doesn't just leave it at, at that family, but it goes on to those who may even have less choice. And it talks about slaves and masters. And Paul encourages those who have no choice in life necessarily about what they're doing. And he says, slaves, honor your masters, not because, because of their good and their great earthly masters, but because you have a master in heaven. And by doing that, you are pleasing him. 
And so even those who can't make any decisions about what they're doing, like, man, you're in a place in life where to meet your responsibilities for your family, for others, you have to do these things. Like you have to work this, you have to work a lot of hours and you have to do other things. Well, those things can be done for God's glory in those places because you carry his name. You carry his name to your workplace. And those who have a lot of freedom, some of us actually are. I mean, there might be some college students who are off this summer. Like, you might have a lot of freedom in your life. There might be some of you who come to a place in your life, in your work life, where you were able to retire, and now you have a lot of choices. For those who have a lot of choices, it's even more important to evaluate what choices are you making. That whatever, not everything, you got you to evaluate those things and, and see, is Christ reigning supreme in my heart? Do I love his church? Am I letting his peace reign in me? I'm not, I'm not ruled by the fear of man, but I can go and honor and represent Christ's name before others, even in, on a college campus or, or a place where people don't respect his name. We have a witness and we represent Christ's name. So this isn't really a do-whatever-you-want message. You might have wanted that. To do whatever Christ wants and lays before you. It's a de- we need our lives to more and more reflect a desire and, and to de- reflect His desires and wants. Christ dwelling in us will transform us to be those who can live every moment for His glory. Mike, as we're closing just an example here of how, how do you walk this way? How do you do that right now? Like, how do we walk out the door and, and do that? Um, Mike's been talking this, this past few weeks about walking for God's glory. It's kind of a rough one because my wife destroyed her kneecap and walking is a really hard thing for her right now. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort. But, but truth to brag on, on the church and how the church has loved us as a family and helped provide for us. We've seen people living for God's glory and loving the church. And we've seen them young and old. They've brought us meals. They've cared for our boys. They've taken them to the park. We've had people wash carpets. And, and we've had uh, college-age students come over and help do laundry. Just service out of love as, as we had a need for a time. And we're so thankful for those who are, are walking in that way. And that's, that's one way that it happens. But we're going to walk out of here right now, and we want these things to, these characteristics to reign and to rule. We want them to be the basis for our life that glorifies God. And so we're going to walk out that door. And maybe you're thinking, man, how does God's word richly dwell in me? And hey, start at the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. You walk outside and you, you see the trees and you see the grass and you see the sky and you praise him for creating all those things. You're just recognizing it. It just happens because God's word is dwelling richly. You recognize your creator in those things. And then maybe you look across the plaza and you see that brother who you had that issue with and you think, how am I going to love them today? How, how am I going to love the body of Christ? How am I going to love the church and love this brother, this sister in Christ How am I going to be forgiving? How am I going to admonish and teach and love and correct with love for Christ's glory? And so those things happen. But then maybe we can fast forward to Monday and you're on your way to to work and you get a phone call. It's one of those phone calls that you don't want to get. 
And now instead of on your way to work, you're on your way to the hospital. And it could be because of cancer or it could be because of, because of a car accident. But you're going to pray that Christ's peace would rule in your hearts that moment. That you are secure in Him. That the future is secure in Him. Your present difficult circumstances are secure in Him. And who knows what He's going to bring about because of those difficult circumstances. What opportunities, what people He has in your path at the hospital just in that room, the nurses that he sends that maybe you're going to speak to and represent his glory to there. So we walk out in every moment, every circumstance. We're not crushed by that weight. We're not crushed by the weight of the difficulty of this in living every moment for his glory because that peace reigns in our heart. And so it's not a place of guilt and burden, but it's a place of peace. You are loved, church. You are to walk for his glory. And we do that. I mentioned at the beginning the idea of a treasure map. You find it and you go after it. And here we're directed to our treasure. Our treasure is Christ. It's all about him. His church, his peace, his word, his name, his work. To God be the glory. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you reign. Lord, you reign over all things, invisible and visible. Lord, crisis in this world isn't something that's out of control, but it's under your control. And we know, Father, that you are working towards an end, a glorious end, in which Christ gets glory, his church brings glory to his name. Lord, help us as we walk, to walk as those who represent you. Help us to put you in the place you belong, first in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you join in stand as we sing and close by singing, Cling to Christ.
reminders as we get ready to go here today. Some things that are coming up in the fall, we have Grace Orange Academy uh, for students from 4th to 12th grade. Uh, we're going to have a program that helps give them a biblical worldview. They can be directed by God's Word. Um, you can sign up for that online and find more information. A missions event coming up at the end of this month, July 29th. There's a beach barbecue and baptism. Uh, we'll note that it's on Wednesday this year, August 9th. And please continue to pray for our students that are at Hume this week. We'll read together. Uh, we'll just read. Uh, I'll just read it to you. Matthew 28, uh, 18 and 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for this mission. We thank you that your glory will be shown through the church because of your work. All to your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.